passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm your host, Jordan Hill. With me this week is Kip Adams. Uh, we are coming to you on Tuesday, just a little afternoon. Uh, Kip, how is this week treating you as uh, we go through another week? And uh, I think we're a little bit less than a month away from the start of spring practice. I'm ready for it, man. It's just It just looks miserable outside. February always reminds us that uh, the winter isn't over yet. It's kind of that middle where just the weather just looks awful every day. I'm ready to get back out. I think this weekend it's supposed to get back into the 70s and uh, – know ready to see uh you know the under armor combine so that's kind of that that entry mark into the spring football practice at high schools and then at colleges so i'm uh, ready to get back into it you know we had a couple weeks to gather ourselves and, and now it's uh it's time to break down what we've seen and 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 look ahead to next year so i'm pumped yeah, for sure. And I will say it felt really nice this morning in Athens. It was like 62, 63 degrees. I was out in shorts getting my walk in. It'll be spring before you know it. But then wouldn't you know it, maybe about an hour later, it started raining. So uh, so we're, we're, we're getting our way there. But I uh, think, mm-hmm. uh, think winter's around just for a little bit longer. Yeah, this is just that, that middle stage. Let's let's get through it together and, uh, and get back to, to talking about some football. So last week's episode, we were going to talk about our stat predictions and some of our team predictions for Georgia going into the 2022 season. And lo and behold, had offensive coordinator news. Todd Munkin leaves for the Baltimore Ravens. Mike Bobo is immediately elevated. Before we go into today's episode, the actual stat predictions, looking back at how we did. uh, Kip, we're a little bit removed now from the hire being made on Mike. We talked a good bit about it last week, but um, any 
uh, other thoughts you've had on the hire, anything that maybe has changed your mind um, in the time since the hire was made official? You know, it, it's really, you look at the roster and the way it's constructed, uh, the offense has got a lot of experience coming back. And at the same time, Mike Bobo watched, you know, what needed to happen last year with Georgia and had an active role in it. Um, you know, with the fact that uh, they talked about him, you know, his role as far as riding up the red zone and making sure that, you know, they're strong in that area. And lo and behold, they were, you know, the best in the country in that. So it seems like he had a positive impact on the offense last season. I mean, I am I am interested to see what, what Kirby Smart does with a couple of support staff roles he has, because obviously Mike Boba had that role last year as one of the analysts. And and Buster Faulkner, you know, worked with the quarterbacks last year. And so, you know, I'm interested to see just how that structure goes down. Obviously, there's still plenty of, uh, you know, coaching movements to be made and staff positions to be added, you know, for, for Georgia. And, you know, thinking about that last year where even though you had uh, Todd Monken uh, as the offensive coordinator, you know, they each had kind of positions they still worked with, with Buster, with the quarterbacks and, and, uh, and Bobo, I think with what tight ends and, and, and wide receivers, if I remember correctly. So there's a couple positions there that are important for Georgia. And, and I want to see, you know, whether or not Mike Bobo has, a, you know, how much uh, say he has with that, or if it's someone that has experience working with him, that's still an intriguing aspect of, of, of this coaching staff that, it, you know, is still unsettled. So uh, that that's an important aspect. And then again, yeah, uh, when we see him out there at spring football, just uh, if, if anything's changed, it'll probably just be some terminology. I think it's probably going to look about the same as it has the last two seasons. Yeah, I wanted to point out a quote that uh, David Andrews gave me. I had a chance to talk to him, and, and I would encourage you guys to read that story I wrote, just talking to a few former players on Mike Bobo. But th- this quote really struck me. Um, he was talking about the the success Georgia had with Mike Bobo the first time around and basically how much should be attributed to Mike. And David said there were some really there was there were some really great talents, obviously, but if you look at these teams that Georgia's playing with now, the roster this year is more talented than all my teams I played on combined. That's just the truth. If you find a player I play with that doesn't say that, they're crazy. That's just the truth. And and yeah, he pointed out obviously there were guys like Todd Gurley and, and some big time playmakers. There, he pointed out Aaron Murray set several records. But I mean, for a former player to say that, you know, there was a lot of talk from people saying, well, look at how much more talent in Georgia is now compared to the first go around with Mike. Um, it was really telling to me to have a guy that, you know, he's still in the NFL. David Andrews isn't a scrub. This guy's been playing for a while and he's saying, you know, they have so much more talent to work with this time around compared to the last time Bobo was the offensive coordinator. Definitely. And again, like I said, he's, he's been able to learn, uh, you know, in good times and bad. He was there during Georgia's most prolific three-year run that they've had to date, you know, when he, he, he opened it up, you know, they started running formations they had not seen at Georgia. They were running five wideout sets. You know, they were running no huddle. They were running pistol. Uh, they were adding new formations uh, during his last stretch at Georgia where they set the program record with passing yards, uh, despite having players injured left and right, where they set up our, scoring record with 41.3 points per game that still holds up to now that three-year stretch is is what got him 
you know, the chance to be a head coach, the chance to learn a lot, and the chance to work with less talented rosters, uh, you know, at South Carolina and Colorado State. So now, now he's got the most talent he's ever had. He's learned a lot. He's watched as uh, offenses have evolved, and he's. I think he's probably evolved as well. He would probably admit to you that, you know, he would he would not call it the same way. You know, if you had another chance uh, to to run those offenses, so I think for everyone looking uh, and and worried about a just run run pass, uh, it, it's. I, I don't think that is going to be something that Mike Bobo does, and I also just don't think that Kirby Smart would allow something like that to happen in this program. And uh, he made the hire with Mike Boba knowing that they've both learned a lot over the last decade and they're ready to implement that, you know, what they've learned uh, with Georgia, bringing back a ton of talent on the offensive side of the football. Plenty to follow with that going forward. And once we get into spring practice and for those of you who are listening live, we're recording this, like I said, Tuesday, a little afternoon, I'm hoping to have a story on Todd Munkin this afternoon. He's scheduled to speak with the Baltimore Ravens and uh, probably going to listen on that, see if there's anything worth passing along, anything Georgia related as he settles in in Baltimore. Uh, so, Kip, let's get into the main reason for this episode before the 2022 season. We both popped on a, a podcast, set some over-unders, talked about what we thought, where some of these players would end up statistically. Some of the numbers, man, we look really smart. We look like we know what we're doing. Uh, other numbers, uh, just just a little bit off. But uh, on the whole, I thought we held up well, and uh, we'll run through some of these players and then... Uh, probably take a break and then talk about what we had expected for the team and see and see how it wound up playing out. Um, we're going to start with the guy that was sort of the most talked about player with Georgia this season. And it was quarterback Stetson Bennett. So the over-unders we had set going into the 2022 season, 68% completion percentage, 3,100 passing yards, 33 touchdowns, eight interceptions. So to run through this, Kip went over only – Completion percentage. He said he would throw over 68%. Uh, Kip also said over 3,100 yards. Kip's uh, prediction was 3,450 yards. You you took the next step with a lot of these. You gave me numbers. You I think you were going to say hey, which games he threw the most for, when when would cut, when they'd come in the second half. I mean, you went all out. Uh, over on 33 touchdowns, over on eight interceptions. So I went under 68% completion percentage. I also said over 3,100 yards. I said over 33 touchdowns. And I said that that would be 35 passing touchdowns and over eight interceptions. So Kip, you hit the completion percentage and you hit the passing yards. And I only hit the passing yards. So he ended up with 68.3%. So we had the right ballpark. You know, we set it right at 68.0. Uh, and that was a career best for Stetson. 4,127 yards passing. He became the first Georgia player to have that many passing yards in a single season. We were under on the touchdowns. We had it set at 33. I believe he threw 29 in uh, the 2021 season. Only throws 27 touchdowns, though he did uh, contribute a few running the ball. And then he actually went under on the interceptions. Only seven interceptions. Uh, so, Kip, what do you make of the numbers and just generally how Stetson played and and how this all played out? Yeah, you mentioned the uh, you know the the touchdowns at, th- at thirty three. I think he ran for ten, so he contributed to thirty seven touchdowns last season. And the the completion percentage that this feels like kind of a natural progression. 
you know that that we we talked about that full off season working under Todd Monken and the the first chance he was going to have to just kind of go into the off season as the unquestioned starter and that chemistry you know he was going to benefit from that and and I think he did uh you know throughout the year regardless of of which uh, playmakers were healthy at the time uh Stetson Bennett had great chemistry with with his pass catchers and the offensive line in general. Uh, the offense flowed very well, and it really never was a, a time where he got rattled or he didn't seem like he was in full control. So uh, obviously, none of you know we all went under on the on on the passing yards because uh, don't think we we thought Georgia was going to throw the ball a lot. We just did not you know we didn't know that. He was going to go over 4,000 yards passing. That was kind of a, you got to play 15 games, uh, you, you know, and we, we kind of knew once we got towards uh, the end of the regular season, I started to say, well, in the playoffs, he's going to have to throw it more. And that's when we kind of started thinking, well, he has a chance if he hits this number per game to to hit 4,000, and he did. So overall, uh, you know, you got to be pretty happy. I mean, I'm pretty happy with our, our predictions overall. The over-unders were set pretty well, and, yeah, Stetson, you know, stepped up and and, and got it done. Whenever uh, you know everyone was kind of counting him out after all the draft picks that Georgia had. Yeah, you know, I, I think the the biggest miss we had was on the touchdowns, and part of that there was a three game stretch where he didn't throw any touchdowns, and you know he's kind of banged up, he's kind of playing through injury. You know, maybe that would have been a different story had he been healthy. And I want to give a shout out to you, Kip. As we got toward the end of that season, we talked about. Could 4,000 yards be possible once we had seen what he had done? And I said it wasn't going to happen. I still thought they were going to come up short of that number, and you uh, rode with it. I remember you saying that you thought he could hit that number, and he did. And, again, yeah, a lot of credit due to Stetson and the staff and the players around Stetson. I mean, he played outstanding. He made a lot of good decisions. Uh, I think the most surprising number looking at that is that he didn't hit that interception number. You know, I thought – you know, they'll probably throw the ball a little bit more. They trust him a little bit more, but there will be mistakes. And, I mean, he made some. He didn't play perfect, but I thought he had an outstanding season and, and had a great way, you know, it was a great way to end his collegiate career. Yeah, and, again, his legacy is the fact that in postseason play, uh, I mean, I, I honestly don't know if we had uh, a player so far in this still young college football playoff who's thrived in that setting more than Stetson Bennett. Uh, just the, what he was able to accomplish. I mean, again, obviously being the, the MVP and, you know, every single one of those, uh, but, you know, but the, that, uh, that one SC championship loss last season, just his overall level of play. I mean, he basically threw for, uh, you know, over 300 yards in, in each of the games last season. He had a, what, uh, 11 touchdowns, one interceptions against LSU, Ohio State, and TCU. You know, when when they needed him most, and it Stetson Bennett stepped up, and that will be his legacy. I mean, uh, you know, looking at the last decade, the incredible playmakers we've seen in college football, Stetson Bennett's absolutely one of those guys when it comes to, you know, the postseason play. And, and I think, again, that's, that's a credit to him and his, his own uh, development and, uh, you know, Again, Todd Monken and Georgia putting him in a situation where he could thrive when they, when they needed him to. Next up, running back Kenny McIntosh. So the over-unders were set at 900 rushing yards, 10 total touchdowns, passing and receiving touchdowns. Uh, so Kip went under on the rushing yards. 
and said, so actually it was set at 10 rushing touchdowns. Uh, Kip went under on the 900 rushing yards, under the 10 rushing touchdowns. I do think you said he would hit 10 between his rushing and his receiving touchdowns. I went over on the 900 rushing yards, and I said over on 10 rushing touchdowns. So Kip wound up hitting this between uh, the rushing yards. He went under uh, under 900 rushing yards. He hit 829, and you got to keep in mind, too, he was banged up a little bit. And then, again, we, we set the number right where it needed to be. He had 10 rushing touchdowns, so it was sort of a push when it came to the rushing scores. Um, you, know, you talk about the fact he played through injury, but – what a weapon that Kenny McIntosh was this past season and how big he was for the overall success of this Georgia offense. Yeah. And uh, again, you, you mentioned him being banged up. The, the The production didn't really, you know, falter when he wasn't on, on the field. And I think that kind of helped, you know, them save him a little bit more for later in the season. Uh, you, you know, you look at Kendall Milton, uh, whenever he came back healthy, that was big. Branson Robinson as a, as a true freshman getting some important reps. And and definitely, uh, you know, Dijon Edwards was uh, outstanding. Uh, every time he was on the field, he always thought, well, gosh, why doesn't he get more touches? It just seems like that he makes the most of, of every carry he got. But, you know, that that rotation helped keep, you know, Kenny McIntosh as fresh as you possibly could uh, for, for later in the year and, and, and when they needed him to make big plays. But, yeah, that he was, uh, you know, he, you looked at what James Cook had done the year before and you're like, well, you know, Kenny McIntosh is going to slide right into that role and he, and he really did. And it, I think, you know, that will be, uh, you know, that type of having a playmaker back there will be something that we'll probably be looking to see for the next couple of years where Georgia can find that type of player because now we're, we're, we're going to learn that it, it's rare just to have someone who can – catch passes out of the backfield the way he does make, you know, make plays outside, make defenders miss in the open field. Uh, you know, he did a little bit of everything and, and he did it all really well. So uh, the, it was big having him come back for last season. And, you know, I think it really benefited him as far as the NFL draft, because he definitely showcased what he can do. And it seemed like his game is definitely made for the, for the pro level. You know, looking at his numbers after the season, I got to admit, I was surprised that he was under 900 yards. He wasn't necessarily keeping a tally as we went, but it's just because he was still so productive as a receiver and, and the ways he made plays outside of that. And, you know, a lot of questions we've gotten going into spring practice is, all right, well, who's the next guy up as a pass catcher among the running backs? You know, it's not that easy. You know, it's not going to be just, okay, well, this guy's up. I mean, you had two really good pass catchers in James Cook and Kenny McIntosh, and now they're moving on. And that kind of production is going to be very hard to replicate, and I think Georgia fans are going to see that, you know, and, and we'll see how those guys work on that. Um, but I think you're going to find out, wow, we kind of had something special here, and it's not just kind of plug and play as far as running backs who can be that dangerous catching the ball out of the backfield. Yep, but at the same time, you might, uh, you might get your wish as far as having that 1,000-yard receiver because of that, because they just won't have – they don't have that target to go to. Uh, you know, they might be using uh, their single back sets, uh, using them as pass blockers more than, you know, have them running routes because it's just uh, that's a better use of them on the field. And there's going to be more emphasis on, on, on the wide receivers this season, I think. And, you know, for, for better or for worse, uh, this group uh, will probably uh, take a, a large uh, chunk of those 43 receptions for 500 yards which is just an insane number of catches for a running back. It is not common. 
uh, 30 is a lot for a running back. Uh, and, and so I, I think he'll probably have a couple guys maybe with 20 and 22 catches. And that might be, you know, the the leader among running backs next year. You know, maybe Kendall Milton or, or Everts has, you know, the, they're the two that kind of have those numbers. But he will be missed. He will be tough to replace. And he probably won't be replaced. And, and so, you know, looking back over, over this stretch for Georgia, uh, him and James Cook, uh, you know, they'll be remembered fondly for – just the fact that uh, you know, they were they were complete backs, and it's 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 rare to have that kind of skill set in college football. Speaking of potential thousand yard receivers, <laughs> this may have been the one we missed the worst, but again, it was due to injury. It was Ad Mitchell? Uh, the over under we set was eight hundred and fifty receiving yards, eight touchdowns. Kip, you and I both went over on eight hundred and fifty receiving yards, and I will point out, you said he can hit a thousand if he stays healthy. Because I went back and listened, I was like, hey, Kip was looking into the crystal ball there. Uh, Kip, you did go under eight touchdowns. I went over and said he would just go over at nine. And obviously, it was not the season people anticipated for AD. Uh, Only 134 receiving yards, three touchdowns. He battled injury. He missed the majority of the regular season. He has since transferred to Texas. Uh, Kip, what do you make of AD's last season as a Bulldog, how it played out? Um, and the fact that now he's going to be a Longhorn next year. Yeah, uh, a little bit of George Pickett's 2.0 there, where once again, Georgia didn't have, I guess, their top returning playmaker at wide receiver. And that's one of the few aspects that, you know, really affected Georgia overall last season. What was, you know, again, not having him out there, a guy that, you know, all offseason, all we talked about was, I mean, this guy's immensely talented, we saw it in the national championship game against Alabama. He could be that alpha wide receiver that George has, you know, been looking for for a long time. And you know, lo and behold, he, you know, he just wasn't really able to get out there for Georgia. And Lab McConkey had to kind of take over and be that guy. And he, you know, he's had some struggles early on moving into that that role, but you know, really, really helped him out toward toward the end of the season. And I think Georgia's better for it moving forward to next season. And, you know, obviously Eddie Mitchell, you know, going back to, you know, Texas where he was in high school and, and have an opportunity to to make plays for them, you know, a fresh start for him should be good. But for Georgia, you know, it, you can't really chalk it up to that big of a loss because it, it was a guy that had less than 140 yards receiving last year. Dylan Bell, you know, out, you know, outproduced him as a true freshman and was able to do that because A.D. Mitchell wasn't out there. You know, Marcus Rosemi Jack Saint was able to help out more and, and get increased snaps because he wasn't out there. And I think, you know, again, that'll help Georgia. And they obviously brought in their own guys to the transfer portal. And, and, and right now they have Ra Ra Thomas on the roster. They have Dominic Love on the roster as well. And they brought in some talented freshmen. So I think overall the impact, I, I don't think, well, you can't really say it's a big one just because of, of those injuries. But it definitely affected them last year. The offense, you know, it was slightly more predictable. Opposing defenses were able to key in on some guys. And and just the fact that, you know, Lab was able to put up the numbers he was and Stetson, the guys we already mentioned, is a credit to them and, and their preparation because uh, they didn't have the playmakers they needed at the wide receiver position last year. And separation was an issue all year. Talk about one more offensive prediction before we take a break and then come back and talk about the defense. Tight end Brock Bowers. And I feel like this kind of goes hand in hand with talking about AD being out. Set the over under at 880 receiving yards, 10 receiving touchdowns. 
Kip, you went under the 880 receiving yards. You said specifically 730. I appreciate <laughs> the fact you you just threw numbers on there. I also I uh, I also went under the receiving yards. We both went under 10 receiving touchdowns. We were right on that. He only had seven receiving touchdowns, but he had 942 receiving yards, which I believe once again led Georgia. A huge piece in this offense. We saw the two tight ends set with Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington so much this past season. Um, you know, made place carrying the ball. I was kind of hoping they would let him throw one just to see what he could do with it. Uh, how big was Brock in this offense and, and the role he played again, specifically knowing A.D. Mitchell, who you anticipated would be your number one receiver, was uh, unavailable for the majority of the year? Not only did he carry the offense, everyone knew. I mean, everyone knew the ball was going to sometimes be forced to him, and he still made plays. I mean, he he actually had over a thousand yards from scrimmage. I think he ended up with a thousand fifty, thousand fifty one. He had ten touchdowns. Uh, you know, so uh, an incredible performance by him. And I think, you know, the first two years in college to uh, to do what he's done so far um, to basically put up two thousand yards from scrimmage and and twenty four touchdowns. Uh, incredible numbers uh, already among the you know the all-time leaders at Georgia uh, definitely the most prolific tight end you know and has a chance you know this year to end with one of the most prolific tight ends in three years and in college football Uh, and and so you you look at what he's been able to do it's it's truly impressive he came in you know ready to make an impact has not slowed down, is ready for whatever role they have for him. And uh, I'm interested to see how, you know, Mike Bobo uses them because it's obviously he, he's able to move all over the field and and just is a natural uh, with the ball in his hands or when the ball's in the air. So uh, I, I think, I mean, he's going to be remembered that, that play against Ohio State last year. We're still kind of, you know, shaking our heads and, and wondering how, you know, how he was able to to do that and, you know, in real time, you know, the, the, just to have the, you know, just the mental acuity to, to, to make that play to get the first down and, and to stretch your body, contort your body like that, um, that's that's not even rare. That's, you know, it's almost superhuman. Um, so it, it's uh, he, he definitely did not have a sophomore slump. I mean, I know that, you know, uh, the numbers from year one, he should have been, you know, the returning Mackey Award winner. He should have that award twice now. I, I'm never going to stop saying that. But uh, I, I think the fact that he is not slowed down, n- never really had an off game, but definitely saw double teams bracketed coverage every single week. You, you got to tip your cap to him. And, this, you know, he is one of the best players in college football, probably a top 10 overall player coming back in, in college football. And a guy that, uh, you know, should hear his name called very early uh, when the NFL draft comes this time next year. You look back at Kyle Pitts and uh, when the uh, Atlanta Falcons took him pretty early. Not sure any tight end should be taken that early, but you definitely Brock's one of those guys where you're, you're, you're looking at a, a potential top 10 overall pick just because the guy's just an incredible playmaker. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and look at our defensive predictions, our special teams predictions. Kip, I did not remember that we went all out with special teams as well. And also talk about what our season predictions had been for Georgia and how that played out. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome back, everybody. Well, we'll start on defense, and we'll start with one of the most experienced guys on the Georgia defense, and that's outside linebacker Nolan Smith. We set the over-under at 70 tackles. We both went under. You had 65 as your prediction, um, and he fell well under that. He only played in eight games. He got hurt in the first half of that game against Florida. Only had 18 tackles, which honestly, had he stayed healthy, he probably would have still fallen pretty uh, significantly short had he played 15 games, probably would have been around 40 tackles, you know, give or take. Um, maybe if he had had some really breakout games, uh, it, you know, it, it's one of those things where his numbers didn't pop off the charts. But I do think that he played a significant role in the start of this season. And Georgia had a huge hole to fill when he got hurt. Uh, what did you make of Nolan's last season as a Bulldog and even your thoughts as he gets ready for the NFL draft? Well, definitely disappointed for him. Um, Everyone has to be impressed with the the role he kept, you know, following his injury, staying in, you know, in that leadership role, you know, when they needed it. As far as the tackles, yeah, you thought just kind of that natural progression, you know, the fact that Georgia was going, was losing their, you know, their top three inside linebackers and Nolan was coming off a year where he had 53 tackles. You thought, well, you know, he's probably going to fill in that role, uh, you know, get some of those tackles just based on snaps being played, but a small Munden and, and, you know, pop Johnson stepped in and, and, and took, took over those roles, you know, very well. And then you, you had the emergence of freshman Malachi Starks. And, and uh, I know that we are, you know, Rusty talked about the impact he was probably going to make. We knew coming in as a five star that, you know, he had a lot of talent, I don't know if everyone necessarily knew he would he would end up number you know third on the team in tackles. So I think he kind of took a you know uh, a huge chunk of that production. And uh, I mean that's I mean that's great news for Georgia because I mean he's obviously coming back. You're going to get a you know a couple more years out of him. So uh, again, injuries affected a lot of our predictions as they're going to do when when you're making about individual players. It's also looking back on this, you can see. Georgia wasn't healthy the whole year and went 15 and 0. Um, so again, this is about 
building out depth on a roster and being able to sustain and, and overcome injuries, that's what that's recruiting right there. Because uh, next man up mentality, it's cliche and everyone says it, but if you can actually do it and, and kind of maintain that same kind of production, and Georgia had an elite defense last year with one of its best players on the sideline for most of the year. So, you know, for, for Nolan, uh, it, he did not get the chance to kind of show what he could do uh, another year and kind of improve that draft stock. So, you know, it's definitely unfortunate for him. We'll see what he can, you know, what he can do at the the combine where he is as far as, you know, his health and everything uh, with that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, again, injuries are going to affect these kind of predictions. They obviously did. But uh, some other guys, some new faces stepped into, the, you know, those roles and, and uh, were able to uh, – prevent big chunks, big plays. Uh, and I think uh, that bodes very well for next year's defense because uh, all those guys I just mentioned, you know, they're they're coming back next year for Georgia. We mentioned injuries affecting some of these over-unders, and I think this may be the most blatant, probably besides AD, and it's Jalen Carter. We set his tackle for loss number at nine and a half. We both went over. You had ten and a half, and and I did not care to give a specific number, but he ends with seven tackles for loss. And, you know, he played through injury for the better part of that season, missed some time because of it, um, some of the injuries he was dealing with. Uh, but still – what what a force. I think that says anything, you know, more than anything is that he was banged up and he was still so huge on that defense and the plays he made when he was out there. Um, I, I think what he was able to do at Georgia shows you why he's got a really good chance to, if he's not the number one pick, he'll probably be the next pick that's not a quarterback when it comes to April. Yes. I mean, the, when he was on the field, it's just like the year before, you know, when you had Jordan Davis out there, uh, that defense just looked different. And, you know, we spent the offseason saying, well, some of these scouts said, you know, the Georgia's best player uh, on defense didn't start. And it was Jalen Carter, you know, a guy that had uh, eight and a half tackles for loss uh, as a non-starter for Georgia. So you look at our predictions, you felt, okay, I mean, Having, uh, you know, two more tackles for loss when you're the man on that defensive line. Now, granted, you're going to get those double teams, you know, every single uh, defensive series, and he did. But they basically got a half season out of him, and he got seven tackles for loss. So he still, you know, he he still gave it a run. Um, and I think that's that's just another aspect of, of Georgia's defense last year was, you know, those explosive plays in the backfield early in the year, we were talking about that. Like, they are not affecting opposing quarterbacks. And then it became the, uh, you know, how do you – how important are sacks? Kirby Smart's getting asked that every week. He's talking about, you know, just ha havoc plays affecting quarterbacks. But overall, you knew that, you know, when he wasn't on the field – they were having to kind of manufacture a little bit. And I mean, Michael Williams definitely stepped up as a freshman. And when he was healthy, had an impact in that, you know, uh, as far as uh, creating those havoc plays. But they were, they had to do some things differently. And I think that kind of goes to the coaching staff where, you know, you have guys like Smile Munden and you have a, a DB like Javon Bullard with seven tackles for loss that kind of stands out. Uh, you know, Chris Smith, Kamari Lasser each had five. He just kind of had to – change it up and give different looks as much as you can to, to, to keep opposing offenses from, you know, being able to predict what they're seeing in the pre-snap. But, but yeah, for Jalen Carter, his impact uh, per snap on the field 
had to be among the highest in college football. You know, he, he made the most when he was out there and, you know, maybe had two bag, you know, two subpar games, uh, you know, in his college football career. I think last year against Florida wasn't his best game. And then, you know, obviously that Ohio State game, I mean, he got gassed. There's no other way to put it. But I think probably every person on that field was, you know, was pretty gassed. It was a shootout. And, you know, those things happen. I don't think that's going to affect the stock, but it's just definitely something you look and go, all right, there's an area of improvement for him. Um, but still, uh, he is one of the most explosive defensive linemen I, I think we've seen in college football the last couple of years. I think the combine is probably going to bear that out. I think he's going to do pretty well on the bench and should probably do pretty well on that 40-yard dash as well. You mentioned Michael Williams a few minutes ago. We gave our sack leader predictions. I had said that Nolan and Jamon Dumas Johnson would tie. You said Jamon would have the lead. And it was Michael Williams, true freshman, has four and a half sacks. Jamon was second with four, so you were right there with him. Um, but, man, what a, what a first season from Michael Williams, a guy that had a lot of hype but was walking into some real – high expectations and he came in and you know even back during media days in july kirby's talking about michael being out there on sundays hitting the sled and you know putting in the effort and you never heard anything differently and i think if you're a georgia fan going into this season when you look at the sophomores and you know you had a lot of guys who stepped up and played well and malachi's among them but i i would not lose track of michael williams i think he's a guy that going into his second season i think he could make real strides, real noticeable sp- uh, strides in his game going into 2023. Yeah, and he, again, he was a guy that was banged up as well. So uh, his numbers, I mean, he could have, he, you know, the stats uh, could have been even better. And I think, and then you also just look at that position in general. Uh, you look at Marvin Jones Jr. banged up. You look at Darius Smith, you know, a guy that uh, every time we saw him out there, uh, he impressed. His athleticism is is incredible, uh, and getting another year in the strength program for all three of those guys, uh, you know, can only you know be good for them. And again, that was the position. If we were talking about position last season, that was a question mark. You know, wide receiver, sure, but that edge defender position and, and uh, you know making plays in the backfield was kind of the the one area where you know you, you saw room for improvement. And you look at Michael Williams coming back, and then you also just think about the fact that his role will grow, and he's ready for that. And then the the guys that they just signed, uh, the the edge defenders, the the three guys they signed are all top fifty recruits, all guys that are kind of in that same talent range as Michael Williams and Marvin Jones Jr. And that position room, uh, you know, right now is is still young, but I think it's as talented as. It's been under Kirby Smart right now, uh, which is saying something because they've had some guys back, you know, back there, Lorenzo Carter. They've had some talented guys back there. It's Ijo Jawari, but right now that that room, uh, you know, stock up for them, and I think stock up for for Georgia as far as pass rusher overall is concerned. Last defensive player that we gave over unders on was Keely Ringo. Over under, we had it three and a half interceptions. We both went over on this number. You you said four, uh, and it wound up being two interceptions. Not quite as productive as we thought he would be. Um, I will say, you know, I was kind of hard on Keely through the year, and I think at times he was unfairly criticized for some of his play. I know he he got a lot of heat for the Peach Bowl, and I thought he played pretty well. It was some of the other guys that kind of struggled 
Uh, he had his moments. You know, one of those two interceptions was one of the big plays of the season, in my opinion, against Tennessee when he picked off Hendon Hooker when Tennessee was trying to drive down and, and answer Georgia and try to keep up. And really, it seemed like from that interception on, that game was pretty much locked down and you knew Georgia was going to win it. Uh, what are your thoughts on Keeley, the season he had, and what he was able to do in his last season with the Bulldogs? He was playing with much younger players than he was the year before. I mean, he went from playing with Lewis Seen, uh, you know, you had Chris Smith out there, you had William Poole in a big role, but you had Darion Kendrick uh, opposite you as well. Uh, you know, a guy that had played a lot of football uh, and had been a starter before. Now you got, you know, again, Javon Borg moving into a bigger role. Kamari Lasser, obviously a, a move up for him. But also, again, we mentioned before, Malachi Starks. And you had you had a lot of youth out there in the secondary. And so uh, there was a lot of ass to him. And Georgia asked more of its cornerbacks than I think any school in the country. They asked him to go out there and play on Island you know, on every single snap. And so you're n- there's no hiding it. There's no hiding what you're doing out there at all. And so, you know, whenever everything's going well, you're just not hearing about them. There's not a play. There weren't a lot of plays made on the ball in general. Uh, so that over-under wouldn't have hit on anyone for Georgia last year. Uh, Chris Smith led the team with three interceptions. You know, uh, nobody had over seven, I think, seven pass breakups as far as, I mean, that's that, you know, it's tough to be accurate on that. It's tough, you know, as far as pass breakups. But, you know, the year before, there were two guys with eight and another guy with nine last year. And Latavius Brinney had eight pass breakups uh, last season. No one on the team had over seven this season. So there wasn't a lot of plays to be made on the ball. Uh, and, and I think that's a credit to them in coverage. Uh, so, I think that Keely Ringo, again, he's under the microscope. His size always stands out. You know, he's a big guy. Straight line speed is very impressive. You know, when you're having to come back to the ball, it's not easy to change directions. And those were routes that he kind of struggled with. But overall, played well. Um, Played well when they needed him to. And I think uh, it's rare to have that that the ability to to move the way he does downfield at his size. And I think that will it will do him well in whatever role he plays at the next level. But I mean he got it done. Uh I've definitely seen cornerback play, you know, uh at a much a much lower level than what he gave Georgia the last couple of years. But at the same time, uh it also made me look at Kamari Lasseter and, and say, wow, the, this guy is a football player, an incredible player. And and Javon Buller as well. Those are just kind of guys that I think kind of uh, epitomize that they are exactly what Kirby Smart looks for in, in his DBs. Uh, Keely Ingros is one of those guys where you bring in, you figure it out later, and that's kind of what Georgia did. Go to special teams with Jack Podlesny. Over under, we said 83.0 on his percentage on his field goals. We both went under on that. He actually went just slightly over 83.9. And we'll go ahead and lump in Brett Thorson, the over-under we had for the Aussie freshman. We had it at 42.0 yards per punt. He went under slightly, 41.5. And, man, I feel totally vindicated with this whole thing because I said that he's going to go over 42.0 yards per punt. And he hit 45, which part of that was he really didn't punt a whole lot. Um, what did you make of the special teams play of both these guys and what they were able to do for Georgia? 
Yeah, I think we we kind of had a good feel. Uh, you know, when you have a, a veteran kicker, you, you kind of see. You know, at that point, you kind of know the tendencies, uh, unless you know, unless there's just a huge mental drop off, which happens with kickers. Uh, I've seen it happen before with returning kickers. Just that last year, they you know the upright seemed to get bigger for him, but you know he he kind of just got it done. And every you know every year, it was it was kind of a most of the time you knew he was he, he was going to be good to go. Pretty consistent career for him. You know, never too high, never too low. Brett, I don't want to say underestimate him. I, you know, maybe when I was looking at the over-under, uh, I was thinking net yards per punt. I'm just going to – that's what I'm going to say. Right, when I, right. When I, when I said 41.5, he ended up with 41.4 uh, net yards per punt. So – I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that and still give myself a, a half win there where you know that's that's right where it was. But uh nice job on that one, Jordan. Uh I guess uh you know you you kind of knew you had you had seen some of the film that I that no one else in the world had seen of Brett Thorson, that that uh punting film from uh you know from Melbourne that that uh, only Kirby and you and I I guess uh Scott Cochran were able to get their hands on. Yeah, I, I made some trips. I didn't uh, tell you guys to uh, go watch him before he got to Athens. Now, I, I, you know, again, I think a big part of it was he wasn't given a huge workload. But when he came through, you know, when he was asked to make plays, he did. I mean, that punt against Tennessee looked like out of a video game. And, uh, you know, I think if you're a Georgia fan, when it comes to special teams, especially punting, you should feel really good going forward. Um, Looking to the uh, last few parts of our predictions – I was really impressed we both hit on these with our offense and defense points per game. So the offense over under we had set was 40 points per game. We both went over. I'm going to give a shout out to Kip who said it's either going to be 41 or 42. 41.1 wound up being the number for Georgia, which as we mentioned earlier, not quite the school record because that was set in 2014, the last time Mike Bobo was the offensive coordinator. Defense, I was kind of surprised looking back at this that it wound up being – as low as it was just because of how much talent Georgia lost. We had the over-under set at 20 points per game. We both went under. You said 16 or 17. I said 17 or 18. 14.3. Just what what were your thoughts on both these numbers? The offense, 41.1 points per game. The defense, only 14.3 points per game. How these guys played week in and week out. I don't think we should ever – look at the NFL draft and make assumptions about the level of play for Georgia's defense. You know, we watched the, you know, the five first round draft picks, uh, 15 guys drafted from a historic defense. We thought they would go from, you know, maybe the best to fifth or sixth. And honestly, this thought 15 points a game, you know, uh, that's a good goal to set because it's still one of the best defenses under Kirby Smart if you, if you do something like that. But uh, I think overall, what what it showed me not to it, not to say anything against Georgia's defense, but offense in college football struggled last season overall. I, I think I saw somewhere where it was one of the lowest scoring seasons, you know, in the college football playoff era, and I mean it was clear, it was evident. Uh, offenses were not very good last year. And it definitely, I mean, Georgia's schedule, yeah, sure, it helped. But I don't think anyone expected Georgia to go out and, and, you know, keep Oregon out of the end zone. 
That, I mean, that was one where everyone was like, wait, what? You know, that, that 49 to three was kind of this, uh, you know, a lot of new guys and new roles. And yet they just come out and just, you know, completely shut them down. Um, that was that was when you just kind of knew that maybe this group is still going to be pretty good. And they didn't really get tested uh, the rest of the year. And so, uh, yeah, uh, very impressive for, for them defensively. That that kind of stood out. I had a – again, you have a returning quarterback like that, uh, your offense should be pretty good. And, you know, uh, they're not lacking for talent over there. And, and then did a pretty good – you know, they did exactly what they should have done on offense, which, again, we shouldn't just say, well, they did what they should have did. But a lot of times that doesn't happen. And we've seen it happen at Georgia time and time again. Uh, so for them to actually go out and perform the way they should, it's just a credit to the culture that Kirby Smart built with this program, the standard that they play to on a weekly basis. So um, I can't say I'm shocked by, by the offense, slightly surprised by the defense. And now we kind of have a trend going forward of where, you know, we should never really expect Georgia's defense to be anything but but top five in college football as long as Kirby Smart's there. I think you nailed it. And the biggest thing to me on defense, if we would, we would have even said, all right, we'll just set it at 15 points. You know, I think if we'd have done that before the season, we'd have been like, I mean, that's that's a pretty high standard given what they just lost. And they still would have hit that number. I mean, that, that to me is just so impressive. And, yeah, I think we had high expectations with the offense given Stetson was coming back and they were hoping um, to have the number one receiver going through a season and that Brock was back and, and all those pieces of the puzzle um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the defense to me, the way it played was the most surprising. And again, I talked about it a lot on here. I was expecting some growing pains, you know, and then, you know, midseason, they're going to look back to where they should be. And they came out and only gave up three to Oregon. I was like, all right, game on. And this is what it's going to be this season. And well, yeah, go ahead. During the, during the regular season, they were they were going toe to toe with the, the 2021 numbers, you know, and then actually, you know, ran into just an uh, out, you know, an overperforming LSU team, and and obviously, uh, you know, a Heisman candidate at quarterback in the Ohio State game. But yeah, I mean, heading into the postseason, they were they were playing at the same level as the year before, and I think that's that was kind of what surprised everyone that they didn't take a step back at all. And honestly, uh, the the defense the year before may have had you know similar productions against the, the those teams in the postseason as well. So uh, that that aspect moving forward, I don't think we should ever uh, count out Georgia's defense. Looking at the season, we both predicted 12-0 and 0 in the regular season. And, and I'm not sure, Kip, what your predictions were after that. I know I had them losing to Alabama in the SEC title game. And then I had it being Alabama, Ohio State, Utah, and Georgia in the playoff. I don't think I ever really put predictions past that, but I really thought that Alabama team in 2021 or 2022 um, was going to run through the competition with the guys they had, having Jameer Gibbs uh, come in from Georgia Tech. And, uh, you know, I was wrong. You know, I had a good sense of Georgia's regular season schedule. I didn't think there would be a, a whole lot of issues there getting through the season, but Credit to Georgia. I mean, they took on all comers and and played well and got the job done to go back to back. Yeah, I think we we all kind of felt that regular season. You know, Georgia shouldn't be having any issues there. We're now in the mode where you're you're trying to figure out. Well, it's it's either you know go undefeated in the regular season or uh, you lose one and then you got to win the SC championship game. 
that's just kind of where Georgia's at right now. And, and I mean, that's where they'll probably be for a while. But yeah, I can't say anyone expected Alabama not even to get to uh, Atlanta. Um, you, you kind of look at the the offense. Uh, you thought, okay, this is probably going to be, you know, one of the most dominating offenses in college football, if not the most. And you know, they again, they their offense was right there with Georgia's last season, um, but the, the the defense, you know, uh, you know, giving up over eighteen points a game, that is not something that Nick Saban's pro- team is is known for. And I mean, just that. You know that Tennessee game. I mean, they could not get stops. You you saw it, you know, in the line of scrimmage and their secondary. Uh, that secondary is, I mean, that was that's where everyone talks about the fact that the, you know they have Bryce Young, uh, and they didn't get it done. But but you know, I I, uh, I I look at that defense, especially in the secondary, and I I wonder, you know, these guys did not perform up to their. I mean, definitely. Uh, the recruiting grade and just their overall talent level. Um, so that that's something that really caught me off guard. It's just not something Alabama is known for. Uh, they had a lot of issues as far as uh, their discipline overall as well. I think it, their penalties, they were among the worst in the nation in penalties. The, the lack of discipline really, really hurt them. I mean, those are the hidden yards were just like special teams. And, you know, you're, you're giving up 12, 13 penalties a game. Uh, that is, that is not good. And, that'll really bite you. And I think it did. I mean, but honestly, at the end of the day, they were four points away. <laughs> you know, when we started looking at the playoffs uh, and the teams were in there, they were definitely one of the four best teams in the country. They just didn't earn it. And so uh, that's something that, you know, we had seen before in the past with Georgia. There's probably a couple, the playoffs ex- existed, you know, during Mark Rick's time, they probably would have made a couple of those playoffs, but you, you got to earn your spot in there, and that Alabama team definitely did not. Yeah, you talk about undisciplined. That Tennessee-Alabama game, I'd never seen anything like that as far as how Alabama played. Wanted to tackle a question real quick before we get out of here. Craig Lawson, when we're talking about Mike Bobo, do we know if contact was made for uh, former running back Thomas Brown when it came to OC? I've heard nothing to make me believe that that happened, and a big part of that is that Thomas – was being talked about as an offensive coordinator candidate. Uh, he has uh, taken the job with the Carolina Panthers. Uh, I just don't think that that was a realistic possibility with Georgia. And I do think that Kirby had a pretty good feel with the idea that had Todd Munkin left, which he ultimately did, you know, we got a guy in house that we really like and Mike Bobo. And the fact there really was no search, one tells you that, you know, they had a pretty good sense what Todd. Uh, what was going on with Todd, what was going on and the possibility he could leave, but two, that there was sort of a succession plan ready that, hey, we really like our options with Mike Bobo and we're going to run with him. Yeah, Mike Bobo's audition was last season. Spending that time in the film room, it wasn't just, this is my guy, this is my buddy. It was not the buddy system for Kirby Smart. It definitely was a situation where they brought him in. He saw how Kirby's running the program. And you have to commit to that. And I think that's exactly what Mike Bobo did. And he impressed him in the film room. He impressed him with adjustments that they made. And he impressed him with uh, some, some of the plays that he drew up. Uh, some of those plays you could see were similar to stuff that Bobo did at Georgia that they had success with. But there were new wrinkles as well. And I, th- I think both you know Kirby Smart and Todd Monk and were, were very impressed with what, what Bobo did in that role 
last year. And I think they probably knew Kirby probably knew, you know, in December and early into January that Todd had his, you know, his eye toward the NFL and, and he already had that. He had already probably had that conversation with, with Bobo probably already had the interview. It's pretty clear that Mike Bobo nailed the interview and, and now he's the offensive coordinator with a chance to uh, rewrite his own history. Georgia men's basketball minute, and woo, we're going to try to get this in 60 seconds or less. They did a good job against LSU, finishing strong on Valentine's Day. Justin Hill hits a late layup to give them the win. They go to Tuscaloosa this past Saturday to play number one Alabama, and within about the first four minutes, it was clear what was coming. 108-59 to 59 loss. That was the sixth largest loss in terms of point margin uh, in Georgia basketball history. You could tell Mike White was really frustrated after that loss, and and Alabama just named the score, and you could see that in the final score. If you're listening to this live, they play at Arkansas tonight, which is Tuesday night. Um, going to be another tough test, and, and I think it's going to be another one where you may see the Bulldogs get pushed around. So the key going forward is this game Saturday at home against Missouri, a really good Missouri team, and then you get Florida at home the following week. I feel like those are two games – they could really, really use before they end the regular season at South Carolina. Uh, still don't know how realistic a postseason berth is going to be, uh, you know, whether it be the NIT or a different tournament. But um, a very rough situation coming out of that game in Tuscaloosa and Georgia definitely looking for something positive as the regular season winds down. Go two and two and see what happens in the tournament. That's all you can really ask for right now if, you know, if you're Georgia. And, yeah, Mizzou, South Carolina. Those are two games that are both winnable. See what happens in the tournament. You get a win or two. Maybe you get some postseason play. Yeah, we're going to follow it and have everything you want to know and uh, the latest updates on Georgia basketball as it happens. So we're going to get out of here. Appreciate everybody who tuned in for this long episode going through all those stats. Appreciate Kip for popping on and helping me go over all of our predictions and celebrate the ones we were right on and and maybe try to justify some of those we missed on. But uh, appreciate everybody who tuned in live and is listening to this after the fact. Uh, we're going to end it there for Kip Adams. I'm Jordan Hill. Until next time, take care. Grab your VIP pass. We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining, this is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We are in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1, back at base. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.